This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your desktop or mobile device. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Trek FM. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. these books i thought i'd take some light reading in case i got bored welcome everyone to trek fm's dedicated books and comic show i am just one of the hosts here matthew rushing and i can't do this show alone everybody knows that and i'm so excited that i don't because i have two amazing incredible talented wonderful gentlemen that sit by my well metaphorically sit by my side each and every week first dan gunther are you saying we're not in the same room together? I I really need to get my medications looked at because I could have sworn... Okay, well, uh, blowing my mind here. Um, good to see you, Matt. It's good to see you too, Dan. It's just that HT video that we've got going on right now on our recording. It's fantastic. So, I mean, it feels like you're in the same room with me. And it also feels like here on my right is Bruce Gibson. Bruce, how's it going? I'm curious to know what it would be like if you did do this episode by yourself. Well, um, we're not going to test that tonight. Don't worry. Yeah, let's not. <laughs> let's let's not. I don't think anybody needs to be subjected to that. Because you said you couldn't so. do it by yourself. I mean, I could. I know, but, but you could. Why but would I? No one really wants to listen to that. <laughs> I don't want to listen to that um, because I'd have to listen back and edit it, and yeah, it just would be a mess. But luckily. Not here by myself, and we actually have some fun news to talk about. Dayton Ward, our good friend here from the show, had come out with the wonderful Hidden Universe travel guide for Vulcan. And it looks like, that's right, we're getting one for Kronos and the Klingon Empire, which this is this is fun, guys, um, because I was looking through that one the other day and was just kind of cracking up to myself to some of the things that, that Dayton had put in it. So I can't wait to see what in the world he's going to sneak into this one. It's so good, isn't it? That that Vulcan travel guide. Oh, it's so fun. Uh, if it's any indication, this Klingon one's going to be absolutely great. But would you really want to travel to Kronos? I mean, that is not like that's not really a vacation I want to take. A, a vacation guide to Kronos is, uh, I, I I don't know. Unless you're just really like into the warrior thing. I don't know, man. Klingon street food that could be really cool. Well, and alive. So I, I think it would probably behoove us to read the travel guide so we knew which places were safe to eat at for humans and which aren't. But you know what? This is what has me kind of wanting to go to Kronos. Remember at Enterprise, the Zerillians kind of show what the Klingon homeworld looked like back then? And it was in this beautiful mountain range. It kind of had a almost Himalayan look to it. And I was thinking, man, the hiking must be fantastic on Kronos. So, and I'm a, I am love to hike. Uh, I love the outdoors. And so I, I can't imagine what it would be like there. So that kind of has me wanting to go to Kronos. Plus, you know, uh, you find the right Klingon guide. You could have an incredible experience. I mean, good hunting, good fresh food every night. So I, I don't know. I'm, I'm planning my trip right now, it sounds like. The I survived a trip to Kronos t-shirts practically sell themselves because there's a really good chance you might not survive the trip. Well, I mean, again, it depends on which guide you go with. And, and hopefully Dayton has, has told us which guiding companies to go with because I don't really want to go to Kronos and have that be my, you know, last epitaph is written on. I went to Kronos and all I got with this crappy t-shirt in this tombstone. <laughs> or get a t-shirt that says, go climb a rock. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, those are really popular on on uh, Kronos. I think that's where Kurt got his. It's go climb a rock dot Kronos. So <laughs> right, yeah, right. Look him up. He went with a travel guide up into the mountains, found Klingons that yodel up there. That I'm sure that would be really interesting. Do you think that like Klingons have Klingon monasteries? I mean, we you know we have the one. What was it on Breath that? Uh, Bolana went to do you still think that there may be a few on Kronos I mean that could be a really cool trip to go check out uh, Klingon places of worship you know that yeah. might be I mean a, that seems fascinating to me I'd, I'd love that yeah, take mm-hmm. a tour get yeah that would be cool I, I would do that well and and you might get to meet Kalis then who knows so uh, Dan I was also really excited they gave us a really fun blurb for this why don't you share with everybody what we've got coming up in this travel guide as we've speculated but the blurb gives us a little more of an idea of what we should be looking for I'd, I was really worried you'd ask me to do that there's there's Klingon in here so <laughs> uh, we'll we'll just um <laughs> we'll fudge the Klingon so uh yeah, All don't right. feel bad because I just read the Federation standard. I think that's what most of our audience is these days. So, All right, well, I, I, can, I can do the start here. Nukne, bored of standard vacations to places like Risa or Wrigley's Pleasure Planet, want to discover a unique and ancient culture not bound by standard niceties and social mores? Then Kronos and the vast Klingon Empire are for you. This one-of-a-kind travel guide will give you all the information you need to plan, enjoy, and survive your trip to the very heart of Klingon territory, from an overview of Klingon history, to tips on what to wear, fur and leather are very popular, to a glossary of important phrases like, would you like to dance with me? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not even going to attempt that. Every major... It seems like, too, an important one would be, is this your sister that I'm asking (laughs) to dance with me? Because, you know, I, yeah, wow. Every major location in the Klingon Empire is covered in depth with tips on where to eat, you've not lived until you've eaten Klingon skull stew, how best to get to and from your chosen destination, and what to do if you find yourself challenged to a batleth battle to the death. Locations include the homeworld Kronos and its famous locales such as the First City, the Caves of Nomat, and the Hamar Mountains, and the city of Krenla, plus neighboring moons Corvix and Praxis, and many, many more must-see areas. The book also features exclusive maps and illustrations that bring to life the Klingon Empire and form the perfect reference guide for any visitor. Sir, what are you waiting for? Kapla! How, how, you know, friendly for tourists is Praxis these days. (laughs) I was kind of wondering that myself. Like, what's the TripAdvisor rating for Praxis? (laughs) Does it come with a spacesuit needed? Like, uh, do you you get the environmental suit? One one would hope. I mean, yeah, huge environmental disaster that blew away half the moon. Well, it depends when you go. There's certain seasons it's you prefer to go to Praxis. You know, you don't want to go when it's exploding. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, it reminds me of those wonderful T-shirts that show the Alderaan weather, you know, yeah. and it's like day, you know, it's like 75 in the day, you know, 35 at night, and and then you get to like Wednesday, and it's a trillion degrees, <laughs> and then nothing. That's kind of what the weather on Praxis looked like, so yeah, you want to be careful when you go to Praxis, but this is... This is really fun, and, and I love that we're getting more of these. I think it's um, it's just a clever, interesting, I don't know, uh, kind of strange thing for fans to be able to get into the idea of traveling to, to one of these worlds. And I think in a lot of ways, we've never really explored these worlds. Mm-hmm. You know, we've never really explored Kronos. We've never really explored, say, anything uh, for the Vulcans, really with uh, their home planet. Uh, Luckily, Enterprise brought some more of that. I think of the Romulans' home planet, Romulus, uh, we've never really explored. Uh, So many cool places that we just really didn't get a chance to get a feel for. Maybe Discovery will give us some more of that. But, you know, this seems to be kind of our only foray into that, and I I love it. I'm just, I'm really excited we're getting this. Yeah, because I don't think we've ever been to Praxis. I don't don't even recall in a novel or a comic actually going to Praxis. Mm -hmm. Well, it was their key 
energy mining facility. So I don't think that that would probably be a place that they would just let tourists go. I mean, it would be like the Soviet Union letting you visit their nuclear sites (laughs) when they were still power. Anyway, guys, I'm I'm super excited to be getting this. And if you're excited, let us know on Twitter at TrekFM or, of course, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. We've got our listeners-only discussion group, which is the Babel Conference. It's a great place to have a discussion with any of us here or any of the other fans. Just go to Facebook, type Babel to the search field on Facebook, or you can click discussion on any of the menu bars on our website at Trek.FM. And, Dan, we also have the really cool Goodreads group. That's a great place for fans to find out some things. Let everybody know why they should join us on Goodreads. Absolutely. Well, as you know, we're all about books here on Literary Treks, and Goodreads is just a really great place to keep track of the books that you read and love. And we've got a group there as well. Just search for Literary Treks at goodreads.com, and you'll find our group where you can find shelves with all of the books we've covered in the past episodes, as well as what we're currently reading, so you can be up to date on future episodes. Just click join and one of us will let you right in. And Bruce, if they're wanting to find our podcasts, where do you think the best place for them to do that is? I would suggest that they go to iTunes because that would be a great place to not only just get all the episodes, but you can subscribe to them and you can also review the podcast right there on iTunes that will help people find us. So they can also listen. The more popular the podcast becomes, the more we can keep this thing going. And also, they're available on Trek.fm. Yes. And of course, uh, if you're not you know, an Apple user, we've got them on Google Play Podcasts as well. TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, all of these kind of places. So we just want to make sure that you can find us anywhere. But uh, yeah, we really do appreciate those star ratings and reviews on iTunes because, I mean, you know. We like more people to join us here on Literary Tracks. Guys, we have a really fun time on this show, and I, I love the fact that uh, we've we've added Bruce because I feel like the fun level has just shot through the roof with that. And what more fun could it be than to, before we hit our bye week that's about to come up is talk about some comics. And so they on Comicsology they've been releasing some great collections of these old comics, these old archives that they've been doing. And this one was The Best of Peter David, Volume 1. And I don't know about you guys, but every time I pick up one of these comics, these older ones, I I go in a little bit trepidatiously. Yeah, I mean, you can't deny that we have been burned in the past. (laughs) This is a thing that's happened. Um, Avalon Rising. Yeah, yeah, basically. (laughs) But yeah, every once in a while, though, you also find the hidden gems in the rough as well. And I feel like this is a really interesting collection because, as it says on the cover, it's the best of Peter David. So supposedly uh, these have been curated a little bit to find some really interesting stories from DC's comics run of the original Star Trek. I wasn't worried going into this because Peter David is one of my favorite authors so I knew these were going to be good, and I also knew the time frame of these, and I, I remember these comics at that time. So I wasn't worried that it was going to be like Gold Key or the the Bick, Bickering Bickleys <laughs> from the Next Generation or anything like that. So, you know, but who knows? You never know until you actually pick up the book and read it. Well, and that's I think that's the thing is that you just never know, you know, what uh, time frame you're going to be in, you know, um, what the writers kind of considered to be uh, Star Trek, what they maybe knew. And what I really like about this series here that they, they've curated for us is that it's all set in the movie era. And a majority of it is after uh, Star Trek Four and beyond. And, uh, and, and not Star Trek Beyond, Beyond, but... Uh, after Star Trek 4 and and during the Star Trek 5 timeline as well. And I, I really like that. I feel like that's a time frame that's so wide open for books and we don't still don't get a ton in that era. So I like that these comics are set in there. And I have to say, starting off with this first comic retrospect, what did you guys think? Because we get a really 
really big shock about a character that we all know and love, Scotty, I mean, a.k.a. Monty. Well, one of the things I love about this story and something that really strikes me about a lot of the original series characters is you can do a story like this because we didn't really know a lot about their personal lives outside of what we saw in the show and the movies. Uh, I mean, for example, in Generations, we find out Sulu has a daughter who's now grown up and a helmsman. Like, you know, there's so much room in the personal lives of these characters that it's it's pretty cool that they can actually fit something like this in. So Scotty has uh, a wife that he was briefly married to, a childhood sweetheart, uh, who recently passed away. And, you know, it fits. Like, it fits in with everything we know about Scotty, which, you know, like most of the characters outside of Kirk, Spock, and Bones, isn't much. It's interesting to see Scotty having a wife because we don't know, as you guys are saying, we don't really know that much about these characters outside of the ship. I mean, it wasn't until we got to the undiscovered country that we find out that Sulu has a daughter and, you know, when did he have time for a family? Well, at that time when I saw Generations, that, actually. Well, that that's right. It was Generations. Uh, you know, it's looking at these characters and thinking, well, yeah, what is their life outside of the ship? Do they have one? I just always assume none of them are married or none of them have families. They've been devoted to the Enterprise, but no, they've been, they may have a life back home with spouses and kids or whoever. And we find out that Scotty was married. What shocks me is the fact that no one seems to know that Scotty was even married to begin with. And that I don't understand. What's interesting about the way that Peter David does this is that where he works in the fact that Scotty was married is a time period where it would kind of make sense that some of the, the crew didn't really know because it's during that refit of the Enterprise and the marriage only lasts for five years, which is very interesting as well. I'll get into that in a little bit because that's a little... anyway. Uh, so I, I think that he does a good job of, okay, what's the timeline that we know for the Enterprise crew in the, in the series? Where in there could we fit the fact that Scotty might have gotten married in that point? And what was really interesting, too, is that this isn't just something that happened at that time period. This is somebody that Scotty's known his entire life. And so this storyline is told really interestingly, and I think... I have to say brilliantly in this sense that it's told backwards and we're working our way backwards through their life till, I mean, it ends with them meeting, but it began with her dying. And so it's a really interesting way to kind of slowly see the progression backwards. And I really, I have to say, I think this is a great story. It's really interesting. I think it's really well done. And I like the way that he's kind of building the story for Scotty. Some of the pieces of it are kind of interesting, but I think the idea and how he worked it in to me worked. Um, what about you guys? Does it work or, or is it just too much gerrymandering? For me personally, I, I found this story really worked. Um, like I put in our show notes today, it, it kind of took me took me by surprise. It was a lot more touching than I thought it would be uh, to kind of lead off this comic collection. It's 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 a very emotional, very touching story, especially having just recently watched the Blu-ray of the director's cut of Star Trek Two, bringing in the whole Peter Preston and Scotty's nephew thing, and uh, his sister's reaction to the death of her son. Uh, all of that I found just really, you know, tying it into established Star Trek lore like that was was really touching and, and much more emotional than I was expecting. And I personally felt it really worked. Yeah, his sister slaps him across the face. You promised your son of a... That's what she says, and they edit out the last word. Ah, you'd want me boy back, and you didn't bring him back, and she's all upset. And, um... <laughs> You could just hear her going off like that. And that's how it's written in there. Just, you know, with the Scottish accent. But um, I didn't do it on purpose loss. <laughs> <laughs> oy, oy, oy. I, I like the story. I like 
this story only really works for someone if they're invested in these characters. If you want to know a, a story about Scotty's past and a, and a love life that Scotty had with someone, this is a great story. We're also introduced to a friend of his that he grew up with. We see all these different years of where he was in his career and his life as a younger boy. It's, it's a really nice, touching story, but it's not a science fiction story. It's not like there's some science fiction element to it. This is just a personal story. And it's nice to get those every once in a while in Star Trek if you're invested in these characters. And so I did enjoy it. it it's a perfect format for this to be in a comic. I think, it, I think it's really interesting because uh, the way that this starts off, it's, you know, Scotty coming back to the Enterprise and he's been on leave and Bones is worried about him. And, you know, Bones and Kirk go to Scotty's quarters and they find Scotty in a drunken stupor. Basically, he's had quite a bit of uh, Douglas's rare blended Scotch whiskey from 1881, or at least they've been around since 1881 is my guess. So, and they find out that, that he has been married. And then, it progressively tells the story backwards from there. And I think it's really interesting. And what I wanted to ask you guys is that it had a, a strange storytelling element. And this is where I kind of got pulled out. And it was like, there was a marriage contract between him and his wife for five years. I don't understand. So to, in the future, do we just like contract people to get married and be like, I think we can last about five years and you know at the end of the five years the contract's up and you're like well that was great you both go your separate ways or i just it seemed a little bit strange yeah i I mean i've heard of this concept before uh it's you know been proposed basically things like marriage contracts that you have the option to renew and that sort of thing because in our society you know marriage is first and foremost a legal contract basically as as it comes day to day kind of thing so you know maybe to some people a little bit of a cynical view of marriage possibly but uh you know it, i i can get be i i mean i i don't think i could get behind the idea myself but i can understand things going that way kind of thing i like this because i i've i've seen this in other places in Star Trek literature. And I'm, I'm not sure, but I think this concept came from Gene Ronberry in the motion picture novelization. If not, I think it was, so. Yeah. I yeah. think that's right. Yeah. I, I know it was early on. And as a matter of fact, before I read this comic, the day before I was telling somebody at work that in Star Trek, they have marriage contracts. So that was in my mind. So when I got to this, I'm like, that's so funny. I was just telling somebody about this at work the other day. Why I talk about this at work, I have no idea, but I was. I, of course, I don't really agree with marriage contracts that have terms to them because marriage is supposed to be everlasting, <laughs> not just, oh, we'll give it five years, see how it goes, and then we'll just go our separate ways. But at the same time, I guess it cuts back on divorce because you don't need to get divorced. You just have to run out on your contract. Just wait it out for the next two years. <laughs> right. I've only well, got two years really... left on the contract. <laughs> but you still have to divide assets and things. So it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. But if anything, I got from the whole comic, I got the a feel that uh, especially between Scotty and this woman, uh, there's no there really is and isn't really any commitment. They seem so flippant about their relationship. It's just on again, off again. Oh, it's not going to work right now. It's fine. We'll just go our ways. Or whatever. it just, it didn't seem real to me in a lot. It, it seemed like a very odd relationship that he would see her years and years later and then just kiss her, like w within seconds. I can understand the idea and and like what you're saying, Dan. I mean, we do live in a world that has taken marriage and taken everything special about it and just made it seem like it only is, you know, something that is a legal binding document. Well, I, they I mean, give be you clear, kind I of like a ball and chain. I'm just saying uh, either way, men yeah. or women, you know. But no, I'm just saying like I feel like that attitude i can i can see in 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 star trek you know being uh star trek is a place where for the most part we kind of have the atheistic view of life 
kind of ruling over Starfleet, at least, and many of the people in Starfleet. So to kind of have this kind of flippant attitude towards these kind of relationships, it makes sense. You know, I mean, people don't have the the moral qualms about saying, "Eh, yeah, we'll give it five years, you know, um, and and have it be that's all there is or, or it it wasn't. It was just kind of odd to kind of seem to come out of nowhere for me. Like I'd never heard of this before in, in Star Trek. So it, it had seemed kind of funny that we had just turned marriage into one more like sign on the dotted line. Okay. You know, like really just, yeah, we went to the justice of the peace and um, that's, that's it. So, but you yeah. know, if I was under a five-year contract right now with my wife, I'd probably be on better behavior because I'm hoping she's going to renew. <laughs> that's a very good point. It's it, it seems to me a very pragmatic view of marriage. I, I personally believe that, like you, Matthew, marriage is a lifelong commitment and that sort of thing. But I kind of get where I think, if I'm rem- remembering correctly in the motion picture novelization, is kind of like the idea that circumstances change and people change, and it was kind of giving people an option that, like, you know, instead of having a bitter, messy separation, it's like, okay, we reevaluate it after five years and or after however long and see where we are in each other's lives and that kind of thing. And I, I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't get behind it myself, but I, I, I kind of get it, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I understand it. I mean, we live in a world where marriage is broken like that. So, I mean... People don't have any respect for marriage, I don't think, for the most part anymore. And people make or break it. I mean, oh, we grew apart, you know. So I, I get, I get it. It makes sense that we would kind of move even more towards this idea of it just being this very transactional thing, instead of something that's more about, well, we committed to each other, and commitment means we're here for each other, even if it gets tough, you know? So like, it's a, it's a whole different way of looking at things. And it was, this is not a marriage podcast, so, (laughs) (laughs) but it was a really strange part of that story for me. And it kind of like really jumped out, but anything about this story here that uh, really stood out to you guys and you're like, Oh man, I really like this. Or they're like, Oh, this, this is, this is not good. I have a pet peeve with some comics that take place, uh, around the motion picture era and there's a flashback scene to when Scotty comes to visit I think it was his sister and her kids and he's in the next he's in the motion picture uniform and they make a comment about you know how awful the stupid gray outfits look and there's been so many times in comics where there's a scene where they, they're first seen in these uniforms and in the in-universe, they have to comment how dumb they look or how awful these uniforms are or that they look like they're in pajamas. And I don't like that because, I mean, whether we th- like these uniforms or not from the motion picture, the thing is, that's an out-of-universe perspective from our century. From an in-universe, I'd like to think that these uniforms are what people wear. This is common. This is the style of that time and not this odd pajama looking view like we're looking at it. So I don't like to hear the author's views of what they think of them in the in the story. And I, I've seen that many, many, many times and it's it's getting old. So that's my one pet peeve. I, I, I totally get that. And, and I agree with that point. I do have to say, though, I really liked when Scotty was like, oh, I think we'll be wearing these uniforms for years and years. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was a nice little nudge, nudge, wink, wink kind of thing. I No. And it's funny because I think they might look back on those uniforms and be like, it's like the 70s for them. Like, oh, we, that's when we were in the tie dye and the bell bottoms, you know, and you know how we kind of look at that. Well, that's and, what you used to but, wear, Matt, right? Yeah. Oh, totally. What do you mean? I still wear that every day. Uh, But I think it's really interesting, your point, and I like it, Bruce, because I'm the same way. I don't like that we have to have that extra textual comment about the stupid uniforms, because you're right, it doesn't really make sense. And yeah, if it was the first time that it ever happened... But it feels like it just kind of happens a lot, so that is kind of frustrating. So, But I will say I like the fact that the art in this book, as they look back through the decades, the style changes to the decades from the 20th century. So what is like in the 2250s looks like the, um, or 
yeah, and the 2250s looks like the style of the 1950s. What did you guys think about the fact that, uh, and as we kind of wrap this one up, uh, that Scotty's like old nemesis had been married to her too, and this whole rivalry thing that happens between them over her. I, I don't know. What did you guys think about that? It's, I mean, it's a bit of an easy trope to fall back on. You know, he's 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 the jerk. He's the antagonist that that pushes things forward in the story. And yeah, he's he's kind of a jerk. I mean. Yeah, I had to punch him. <laughs> well, his name is yeah, Angus, so come on. <laughs> <laughs> he's got to be a jerk. But the jerk actually brought the two of them together originally. He's the one who hooked them up, but then later on he takes the girl, and then the girl comes back to Monty. So it's all like full circle. And we get an origin story for Scotty's mustache, so that's pretty that's cool. That's true, <laughs> yeah, which I've always wanted to have. Um, I'm just glad we got days of the enterprise uh, you know welcome to days of the enterprise this episode we will be seeing scotty as he fights for his love's hand but will he be able to get him from his ex-best friend i mean it just it sounds like a bad soap opera so uh all in all though i think this was a really interesting issue and for some of the cheesiness of it i i thought it was interesting to give Scotty a love interest that was not Uhura and was something that happened kind of in a time period that kind of made sense for the most part and and just gave Scotty's character some more depth that's what I liked the most Mm -hmm. because you know for the most part Scotty is the miracle worker and the comic relief in Star Trek and this kind of treated him more like an entire character and that was nice Mm -hmm. you're you're absolutely right there's a little bit of you know, like antimatter particles through the warp core. These are the star dates of our lives, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I don't even want to touch the scene where Scotty thinks that she's being hurt by him and they bust oh, into God. the door. Uh, it's it just seriously, folks, you need to pick up this and read this because that one scene, we're not going to, we don't want to ruin it for you. That was but, so awkward. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. uh, it's, it's awkward even talking about it. So. Very uncomfortable. well so the return of the worthy part one a rude awakening and uh so wanted to see this starts off a three-part series here um that's going to fill up the middle of this collection and this is where i think things got really peter david davided is that a is that a term (laughs) peter david is now okay uh, and I wonder what you guys thought about this because I, 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 to me, I was picking up a lot of the things that I feel like he would do later on in New Frontier that might have had their genesis in this book. So this one, now, this three-part is really interesting because it's co-written by Bill Moomy. I, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. And I was like, is that the guy from Lost in Space and Babylon 5? And looked it up, and yeah, it totally is. Uh, so that was really interesting. Yeah, I, I found this first part to the story a really good introduction uh, to the worthy and this kind of legend surrounding them, uh, finding them on this planet. It's It's kind of cool when this fictional universe kind of develops its own lore, uh, doesn't rely on old legends that we're familiar with, but rather instead crafts something new that, you know, there's this legendary group that's known throughout the galaxy kind of thing. I, I always find that stuff really interesting, that world building that uh, they have to do for that. And I don't know, what did you guys think? I thought this was a pretty cool introduction to that. I, I definitely thought it was a good introduction to that. And, and it really plays well in the three parts and then I also thought it was interesting that the robot looks like the Danger Will Robinson from Lost in Space, too. I didn't know if that was like a little wink-wink in there, too. But I, I do want to say first, real quick, that I was very excited to get to this comic because this, when this comic came out, it was the first Star Trek comic I ever bought. I still have it to this day. Um, and this was at the point where it was in 1990 that I officially referred to myself as a Trekkie at that time. So this was like coming back home to the beginning of where it all started and reading Star Trek comics. And these were the Star Trek comics that I remember from back then. They were much better than the ones that happened a few years earlier, like the next generation ones. 
And Matt, I'm really interested to hear your comments on where you see the new frontier connections, because I hadn't thought through that yet. What was interesting to me, so they are on this planet and they're searching around because they're wanting to use this planet as a base for a new trans-dimensional warp capability program that they're trying to get powered up that will allow them to transfer between universes in different dimensions, but they need a star to power that up. So apparently it's kind of like Starkiller Base because they're going to suck the power of a star, the same thing, which is yeah. going to destroy <laughs> a, everything in its path. And then that power will enable them to open up a hole in space that will allow them to transfer between dimensions. This seems like a bad idea. Uh, I will just say right up front, this doesn't seem Star Trek-y at all because this is the kind of thing that the Federation would immediately nix and say, no, we're not doing that. So I was kind of pulled out of the story in that way. It it just, the setup for it doesn't seem Star Trek-y. The New Frontier stuff came in with this whole idea of Peter David loves to build like his own mythology in Star Trek. And, you know, reading the New Frontier series that we did um, the last year and all of it built around this little sector of space. It's like the Peter David sector. You know, it's like it's in its own little bubble. It is like its own little alternate universe where it's, you know, all of these strange things like kings and half demigods. And I mean, it's, it's all of a... It almost reminds me of the Percy Jackson series where you're kind of throwing new and old into and coming out with something interesting, and that's what he likes to do. And this whole the the worthy, they kind of reminded me of that idea. And it almost seemed like the forebears of the new frontier crew that we get. You know, this kind of very strange motley crew of demigods and psychics and you know warriors and all sorts of things put together on one ship that uh damn starfleet rules we'll do it our way kind of thing and and this what that crew reminded me of not it's not a bad thing that's just where i i saw it kind of play out and i could see the connection beyond the setup here where i'm like that's not a star trek idea at all they would never do that the actual worthy and everything else was I found really interesting and a lot of fun. It it had a it had a lot of playfulness to it, and it did kind of have this action adventure lost in space feel to it, which I don't know. It mixed really well for me, so uh, you know I I enjoyed it. Yeah, a lot of stuff like the uh, the idea of ancient legends and that sort of thing really comes into play a lot in Babylon Five as well. And with Bill Moomy having starred on Babylon 5 and Peter David done, having done a lot of writing for Babylon 5, it, it made a lot of sense to me. Like there was a lot of kind of a, a bit of a melding of ideas there that really reminded me of that. And Peter David does do this thing where he kind of latches on to the over-the-top aspects of Star Trek. And of course he threw in Apollo here as having thrown them across the galaxy because that's a that's a big outlandish crazy thing from the original series and that's exactly the sort of thing that peter david just naturally seems to gravitate towards so this is really keeping in with that style of his yeah it's definitely in his style and i see what you're saying about the new frontier it didn't dawn on me but i i see somewhat that connection that kind of style and he really likes to play with characters with that have like a lot of conflict and and sometimes the characters can be a little over the top, but it, it creates a fun, interesting dynamic between characters. And I think that's what he was bringing about with this crew. And even they didn't even get along all the time. And, and even that the boy was just kind of a jerk kid, you know, who he just, he sucks in information. That's, that's what his power is. He just sucks it all in. It's like any information he finds, he sucks it in and he can beat Spock easily at chess because it, it's like a child's game to him. Well, and that's, that's where it's interesting because we get to part two, great expectations. And Kirk tells them about this prophecy that the prophecy is that the worthy will come home and save their planet. And we find out that their planet is, 
is now kind of mired in tribalism and breaking itself apart in war. And it's a really interesting idea that, you know, there would be a group that would come home and be able to lead their people out of this almost dark ages that they've kind of led themselves into. And so, again, very mythological in what we're getting. Uh, but this issue was funny because not not a lot happens in it before the very end. I mean, it feels very, we're filling up space issue. Yep. I mean, mm -hmm. check off, you know, almost getting it on with Inaj, but then he's like, no, 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 I can't. I, apparently he doesn't, he can't pull a Kirk and just go with it, the flow. He's like, no, 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 no. I mean, you know, we, we can't do that. I'm a Starfleet officer, and we just met. And uh, what would Jim think? Uh, not Jim as in Jim Kirk, but Jim as in her, I don't know if it's her husband or lover or something, G-I-M. Sorry, are, you're saying they're going to the gym? I'm not. Yeah, no, not that gym. The other gym. The one that's green that's hanging out with Scotty drinking blue. Ah, okay. <laughs> whatever blue is <laughs> yeah that's a i mean and an, another very peter david hallmark is just the playfulness with language and and that sort of stuff too and a you know nice little homage to the scotty it is green <laughs> when he's giving the alien yeah. <laughs> in uh by any other name the original series episode something to drink you know lots of little i mean if nothing else, you can really tell Peter David knows his Star Trek for sure. Um, but yeah, I, I, I agree with you. This feels like a bit of a holding pattern. You know, we're getting to know these people a little bit better. I guess that's kind of the purpose of what's going on here. But yeah, not a lot happens. There's a little bit of behind the scenes stuff going on with, uh, you know, another typical badmiral kind of uh, making his intentions known here and that sort of thing. But, you know, not a lot pushing the plot forward here. Yeah, I thought the same when I was reading it. It just felt like filler. Like there wasn't a lot of story development going on. We're just seeing our crew characters interacting with the worthy characters and, and pairing them off into different scenes. Um, I thought it was kind of creepy that Chekhov was uh, always reading about the the worthy as his hobby and especially the woman he makes out with that uh, I would thought she would get creeped out by that, but she wasn't, she was very receptive and he got creeped out. So who knows? I check off. She's like 300 years older than he is too, which is really interesting. Yeah, But she doesn't look 300 years. No, no. <laughs> and, she looks like she's 25. Yeah. And she has nice pants. And then <laughs> <laughs> i just said that cause Matthew had mentioned that earlier before the show uh, on the other side of the page. Is that what we say here? Yes. Mm -hmm. He said it on the other side of the page. And then <laughs> the other side of the page. <laughs> we need that. Where's Larry? So, <laughs> so then the Gorn are even introduced. We've got a Gorn commander that comes because he wants the unit that, that bends space to get to the other dimensions because darn it, he knew about it and no one, no one told him it was ready and, and he wants it from them. And, and then I don't know. It was that, Again, it felt like filler, like that was just kind of thrown in there. It was kind of neat to tie it back to, you know, how the Gorn even revere these worthy as part of their mythology and that kind of thing. I thought that was kind of cool. Uh, and also <laughs> the mention of the the ravenous bug beast of Troll, which immediately leapt off the page to me as a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy reference. I, I love that. I, you know, that was just me totally geeking out on that. But yeah, it, it's kind of, this comes up and then it's resolved pretty easily. I think, you know, to kind of elevate their mythological status a little bit. But other than that, yeah, it doesn't seem to have a huge impact on this overall story. Well, and the third part here, Tomorrow Never Knows. Uh, that should be the next Bond title, Tomorrow Never Knows. Uh, this is where the Peter David stuff really came into fruition because this is where it just gets classic Peter David, if you ask me. I mean, uh, they find out their world is dead, so one of them, Jim, goes off drinking, and uh, Catalano is being blamed for his lack of leadership by Aileen. So they're bickering. We uh, have to 
have this thing between Kirk and Styles. Uh, we get Chekhov, you know, maybe making out again, almost getting the opportunity again. But no, let's take you to your husband. And then you have the domestic dispute that happens outside his his quarters. And I mean, it's just, it really turns into the start dates of our lives. It, it was like, wait, these people find out their world is dead. And this is kind of how we're going to wrap this comic up was <laughs> with all of these like really bad melodramatic storylines. And then, Oh, Kirk is going to give us an inspirational speech and we're going to go find our place in the galaxy and bring peace to people because we don't have to worry about that stupid prime directive. <laughs> yeah, it was wrapping up this story. It was it was definitely kind of an odd tack to take and it does kind of delve into a little bit of ridiculous antics with uh Jim, that's the GIM guy, uh shoving Chekhov I guess or something but not even realizing and then and then getting mad at him later and and this kind of pseudo fight breaking out I yeah it was a little bit all over the place I do have to say the one thing about this story is the kind of splash page that starts it off showing the destroyed and wrecked planet with everyone dead juxtaposed with the uh, the bedtime story about the worthy and they came back and everyone lived happily ever after it was just that was so cool what a that to me what a cool way to start this story off that was looked really neat to me yeah i like the way part two ended with them coming to the planet and finding out there's no life signs and there's this radiation readings that they're they're getting and so you know that the planet is dead that the people are are, are no longer alive and then to start it off the planet's with, dead jim he's dead they're dead jim and then to to go to this this panel at the beginning of part three and see just what you're saying these these dead bodies and it's not gruesome you know but i mean you see death on this planet and then you know these these people the worthy they always had a purpose and now that purpose was gone they felt like they failed their people and so they kind of got this attitude on the ship like you know yeah jim's a great engineer but he could really give a crap anymore and the kid that plays chess with with spock he could give a crap about winning and he actually loses at it and with dumb moves because they've all given up they don't have a purpose and in traditional Star Trek fashion, as you said, Matt, then we've got Kirk that comes in and makes a speech. But what I really liked is the portrayal of Captain Stiles that we saw in Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock on the uh, Excelsior. I expected to see him portrayed as a big jerk in this issue, but he wasn't. He actually was working with Kirk to help convince these people to go help others on other planets. So I like the fact that they didn't portray him as just a total jerk. Yeah, for once, you know, they have the oppositional Starfleet captain, and you kind of actually understand how he became a captain, because he's not just an impediment to progress and being an obstinate jerk. He's, you know, helping out Kirk and stuff. I felt the reveal of that to the reader was a little bit clumsy. I was kind of like, oh, okay, I guess that happened when they first had that view screen conversation that we cut away from. But so it was a little bit clunky to me, but I actually, like you, I really appreciated that he was a, a well-rounded character and not just this hard-headed antagonist that we have to overcome. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And it, it was just, it was an interesting thing uh, for the end to have them decide that they were going to go off and save the galaxy their own way because they don't have to worry about that dumb old prime directive. And I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> well, the last issue that we get is called once a hero. And this is about Kirk dealing with the death of an ensign that barely anybody knows because they're new to the enterprise, but they died saving Kirk on a mission. And I thought this was, honestly, I think this might be the best issue of the line. And and just because of the way that it deals with the reality of what it's like to be in command of a starship and that you wouldn't know everybody's name and that there would be people that died before you got even a chance to really know who they were and how do you deal with their death and, and 
I just, I really liked everything that they were doing in this story. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed this one as well. Again, this was one that kind of snuck up on me and was really touching. I really appreciated the honesty of the story, I think I have to say, because, you know, it would be easy to gloss over the fact that nobody got to know this guy and then maybe have kind of a nice heartwarming story where he discovers stuff about him and learns who this person is posthumously. But it really does turn out that he didn't make any friends on the Enterprise and nobody knew him. And some people were even totally unrepentant about that, saying, I don't give a damn about who this person is, you know, and it it, it really struck me with the honesty of it. And to wrap it up with the eulogy that Kirk gives at the end, I, I found I thought that was really touching. I really enjoyed that. How many times do we see a Star Trek episode where officers die on a planet people we've never seen in a prior episode we necessarily don't always know their names and they die and it's forgotten about we're, we the episode doesn't spend time on the fact that this officer was shot or killed on a planet and now here we're seeing kirk has seen this multiple multiple times and here yet again he's got another officer who died where he doesn't really know his name doesn't really know anything about him. And, and like you said, Dan, even the crew didn't know about him. And it's sad that a life is lost. A life was, you know, that was used to, to protect the captain, but no one seems to know this guy at all. And it's, it's a sad situation of them trying to come to grips of, you know, a crew member that they didn't get to know and didn't spend the time to get to know. And, and they reflect on how they treated him and, and so on. And, and it's a really interesting, touching story. And again, it's it's not a it's not a sci-fi story. It reminds me of the Scotty story. It's it's about people. It's about lives, and, and it's got flashbacks. And uh, you know, Peter, David, you're, you're you're touching our hearts. How dare you? What I do think about this one is that it it really brings to mind the the part of Starfleet that is very much a military organization. That those kind of things happen. That, the soldier basically comes in. He's part of security that this officer, Ensign Thomas Lee, uh, he his job is to keep you secure. And before you really even get to know his name, he's gone. And that that's part of the service. It's it's part of, you know, as Kirk says earlier in one of the other comics, risk is our business. And this officer, this ensign, this ensign understood the risk. And he took it upon himself. And, and what was great is that they portray him really well in the story. You know, he's he's somebody who, he might be new at the job, but he's good at the job. And he's good at the job and he saves the captain's life. And so I, I think what's great about it too is it really wraps up this this collection very well. Which leads me to ask you guys, you know, what do you think you'd end up rating this Peter David collection? Well, to me, this was a very strong collection of stories. Uh, you know, a couple issues with a few of the stories, but very, very minor things on the overall scheme of things. For example, in this final story, Once a Hero, one thing that kind of jumped out to me is when Kirk tells the smugglers, the criminals at the end who are responsible for Ensign Lee's death, uh, that he's turning them over to this other group and, you know, their punishment is to peel their skin back and pour acid on them or something like that. And, you know, I was kind of expecting that to have been a ruse or something like that by the end, but no, he does he doesn't take that back. <laughs> so to me, that was like, okay, I, I get the cathartic feeling of, of doing that, but it, that didn't feel very Star Trek or very Kirk to me, but okay, you know. Minor issues like that aside, very, very strong set of stories. I think I would personally have to rate this one, I'd say four and a half Scottish kilts out of five. And and nice. sorry for the guy that has to wear the <laughs> half kilt and also sorry to all the people around him. Uh, that's a little awkward. <laughs> well, Dan, I think you look great in the kilt that you're wearing right now. <laughs> um I, i'll keep my legs crossed don't worry <laughs> i think um 
I don't know. I'm I'm a, I'm struggling on this because I I'm I, I think the sorry I'm grunting I'm grunting. Um, I wouldn't say it's a perfect book. I it's hard for me to even say it's the best of Peter David because it's not my favorite of Peter David's work. But at this time, uh, when he started writing Star Trek comics, these are very good. These are very touching. So I'm gonna say. In this case, I'm going to give it four unnamed ensigns. I, I think this is, uh, for all the comics that we have read, um, you know, this is definitely up there. Uh, it's, it's a good outing for the crew of the Enterprise. There's no bickering Bickleys, which is wonderful. And so I, I'm very happy to have read this one. And, you know, especially that last comic, Once a Hero besides the, you know the kirk part at the end where he's giving them over to have them flayed alive basically uh that doesn't jive well and and there's some there are some issues like that where i'm like as much as you understand star trek there's a part of me that's like there's some things here that are so against what it means to be you know star trek that I, this wraps up to me at 3 out of 5 unwanted advances uh and so i i think it's uh it's a it's a good it's a solid entry and it's definitely worth reading especially i think for that first read with uh scotty uh about him being married and the last one specifically and the one the three in the middle are fun uh and and definitely worth your time well all in all i think uh maybe not as it's listed, the best of Peter David, but some definitely really, really great Peter David stories that I think for the most part, we all seem to really get a lot out of and really appreciate. Yeah, it's, I'm ready for best of Peter David volume two. I hope, I I don't even know if that was published, but I'm going to be looking for it. And I'm going to dig through my old comics that I know Peter David wrote a lot of and uh, maybe reread those too. Well, it's been fun getting an opportunity to talk about these, and I'm glad that I enjoyed them. You know, every time sometimes we choose these old comics and I go in, I'm not sure what we're going to get, but for the most part, this was totally worth it. So I'm glad that we did it, and I'm glad we get to sit around and talk about this stuff every week, and we get to do that because of some amazing gentlemen through Patreon who support us and our associate producers. We have Ken Tripp, Brandon Shamatella, Bruce Gibson, and Norman Lau. Really appreciate them for taking the time to go to patreon.com slash trekfm and see how they could support the network and make sure that all of our shows across the network keep coming to you. Uh, We can't do this without listener support, so we encourage you, go to patreon.com slash trekfm and see how you can become part of the team today. Now, Bruce, when you're not uh, trying to jumpstart your old robot so that you guys can have some fun together, where can we find you? Well, you can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex, and you can find me talking Star Wars quite often on the Star Wars Report podcast. And Dan, when you're not uncrossing your legs wearing your kilt, where can people find you? Oh... I'm never going to live that down. Um, <laughs> you can find me talking about Star Trek on youtube.com slash Productions. You can find me on Twitter at Kurtrats. Uh, you can find me on my website, treklit.com, where I post reviews of Star Trek novels, both old and new, and of course, kicking around the Babel Conference. Now, Matthew, when you're not sitting around the campfire telling long-lost legends about the ancient worthy, where can we find you? Well, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. You can also find me on The Orb with Chris Jones talking about Deep Space Nine. I also do The 602 Club, which is our general geek show here on the network. We have so much fun just choosing out something geeky that is one of the fandoms that we love out there that isn't Star Trek and talking about that. So join us over there on The 602 Club. And you can also find me on a show called Aggressive Negotiations with my good friend john mills who's on stage nine with mike schindler and we talk star wars and it's a blast so i hope you will check us out there on the nerdparty.com or of course on itunes just search under aggressive negotiations and don't forget if you ever want to just check out all the star wars shows that we've done on the 602 club you can check out the star wars 602 club special feed 
right there, all the episodes ready for you. So check that out as well. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one.